coming to you live from Race City, USA. It's Blind Spotting, the NASCAR podcast from a fresh, personal, and blue collar take. Race reviews, race previews, the latest news, and more. And now, your hosts, Michael Colbert, Andrew Coates, and Travis Sherry. All right, welcome back to Blind Spotting. This is episode number 12. We hope that you guys have all been doing great. Thank you so much to all of our listeners. We keep ticking up every single week, and that is thanks to you. And we are doing episode number 12 this evening, and we have an awesome guest. Before we get to that, I do want to welcome my cohorts, my partners in crime, Andrew Coates. And Travis Sherrill, how are you boys doing? Doing well, thank you. We're doing good, Michael. Just uh, two weeks as we record to the Bush Clash. Yes, that's, that's going right. to be exciting. Everybody is excited about that. And we are, as always, in the Cottle Creek compound right here on Highway 3 as you are traveling from Mooresville to Kannapolis or switch it up Kannapolis to Mooresville. Either way, we like to call it the Dale Earnhardt Trail. We have an awesome, awesome guest tonight Rodney Childers, that's right, is going to be joining us. He is the top man on the box of the number four Kevin Harvick Ford Mustang out of the Stuart Haas Racing Stables, and we are going to have a great interview with him tonight. Man, are we excited, and I know that you are too, so why not get right into it? We're not going to put it off any longer, and here we go with Mr. Rodney Childers. Tonight, we have got Mr. Rodney Childers. He is the crew chief of the number four Ford Mustang driven by Kevin Harvick out of the Stuart Haas stables over there in Kannapolis, I believe, or Cabarrus County. Isn't that right, Rodney? Yeah, in Kannapolis, yep. Thanks for being with us tonight, buddy. We really appreciate it. We'll just get right into it. First thing I want to ask you, obviously, a lot of folks know your history, uh, know your background, know what you do, know, know a lot about you. But if we, if you don't mind, just kind of take us back to, for the fans who might not be aware, kind of just take us through the background from you know racing carts uh, to today, uh, kind of what, what lit the spark for you uh, for racing. And, and you drove for a long time before uh, kind of getting on the other side of the wall, if you will, uh, so just kind of talk about that, how important your family was uh, in those days. And, um, you know, for people that don't know, you were a really good driver, uh, an excellent driver. And a lot of people do know that. Um, so just, if you don't mind, just kind of walk us walk us through that a little bit. Yeah, when I was younger, um, you know, I had a, a friend of mine that uh, his dad had bought a racing go-kart. And he was going to go over to, uh, to Lincolnton and race it and, and just went over there and sat in the stands and watched him one night and then went again about a month later and watched again. And, um, you know, somehow out of the blue, I asked my parents for a racing go-kart for Christmas. And, um, you know, it was kind of all all snowballing from there. You know, we, we started racing uh, over in Mil- you know, at Millbridge Speedway right here between Mooresville and, and Salisbury and um, – you know, which that racetrack has blown up now, which has been good. It's cool to see it still running. But, um, you know, just worked my way through the go-kart ranks. was fortunate enough to, to get a call from a factory team, and, and that really got things going. And uh, won, um, I guess, five national championships in go-karts and seven uh, South Carolina state championships, and then moved on to late model stocks and was, you know, um, 
fortunate enough to, to run good in that and, and won a bunch of races in, in 98. Um, I think we won 10 races that year and sat on the pole like 11 or 12 times up at Tri-County Speedway. And that caught the eye of a, of a uh, all-pro team, which was a you know Slim Jim all-pro series back mm-hmm. then, which traveled around and did that for a year in 99 and was – you know, somewhat successful for a beginner in that series. Those cars were a lot different than what I was used to. And, and the team I was with was also learning as much as I was at the time. And, uh, you know, we had some, some flashes of brilliance there and, and some races that we, we didn't run as good. So, um, anyway, we kind of ended up splitting ways after that year and went back to some late model stock races and, um, you know, started winning a lot of races again in that. And, and then uh, kind of ended up in a little bit of a dead spot. You know, it was kind of the, the age and, and the time in my career that it was time to go bush racing or not. Um, and I, I really wasn't the type that I was just going to be pleased with racing late models the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I was always I was always the type that needed to race for somebody, you know, not not, you know, paying money out of my parents pocket or anything like that. And right. just finally got to the point that we needed to. To, to move on and in 2003 just decided to go work for a cup team as a, a regular mechanic on the road and and um you've been cup racing ever since now that first cup team that you that you went to work for uh who who was that who who gave you kind of that shot to begin with yeah it was on dave blaney's car uh or the 77 car the jasper motorsports team and uh, you know, one of my best friends worked there already as a shot guy, and he's the one that had talked to those guys about me and my background and got me an interview there and was able to uh, go in there and, and uh, do the interview and got a job offer like two hours later and went on the road with them and, uh, you know, just kept moving my way up from, from that point on. Well, that's fantastic. I know, you know, you and I were – friends back when we were little young youngsters and and uh used to hang out a lot together growing up off of the lane tree road and i remember uh going with you a couple of times um out to millbridge and you know a lot of people may may think that you know a lot of folks that get into it uh have it have a lot of things handed to them but you that was not the case with you i remember going over there with you and your mom uh and you know, she was, she did a lot, uh, you and her together, uh, starting out at, in, at those carts over at Millbridge. I remember that specifically, and she played an integral role in, in your start. Yeah, for sure. You know, she, um, you know, she was a stay at home mom, but she made homemade quilts, um, at our house and, and these quilts were pretty exotic, I guess you could say, <laughs> and, and sold for, you know, a lot of money and, um, you know, my dad has been a car salesman now for 46 years and, wow. and, uh, still selling cars down in Charlotte. So he worked on Saturday, you know, Friday nights and Saturday nights and, you know, he wouldn't get home till nine o'clock every night. Um, so it was just me and my mom, we had a little S10 truck and we would go, go kart racing. And, um, you know, my first go kart, my dad didn't even buy, it was actually my mom. Um, you know, she was selling those quilts and, Mm-hmm. She had sold one to uh, Miss Beck, you know, the Beck's own the Mercedes store in Charlotte, where my dad worked, and and uh, I think I think the darn quilt paid, you know, paid my mom about four thousand dollars or something wow. for this fancy nice. thing, and 
<clears throat> so she went and bought my card and all the stuff to, to go racing. And she took me racing for that first probably two years, mm-hmm. um, just me and her. So, yeah, she had a huge part in, in everything that was going on. Definitely. And I do remember that you were racing, uh, and after a period of time, uh, you got picked up or started racing for a team. I want to say, I remember it was like a gold and black trailer. And I want to say, yeah. was it Gibson? Gibson? Uh, yeah, yeah, Gibson Cart Sales, which yep. was in Troutman. Um, there was an older fella named W.A. Gibson, his son, Creighton Gibson. And, um, man, they were just great people. Uh, they, they actually had like the parts trailer, you know, every racetrack's kind of got a trailer that has parts that you can go to and buy fuel and oil and gears and clutches and just all those types of things. But they were the the people that were there every week, you know, they would go to, to all the local tracks around here and sell parts and, and, um, you know, they just, we would go in there and buy parts from them and, and, you know, uh, Creighton's wife, Tracy, and, and my mom got to talking and being friends and Creighton would always try to help, um, you know, set my go-kart down off the stand. So my mom wasn't having to do it or, or mm-hmm. he would run up to the, he would run up to the grid and crank me up. So my mom wasn't having to do it. And, yeah. you know, just one day he just offered to, to let me race with them. And, and, um, you know, I started working out of their shop in Troutman and, and going with them to the races in their trailer and, um, you know, he would run the adult classes and I was running the junior classes and, you know, that was a, that was a lot of fun back then. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and a lot of folks that are, that are in it realize it's a, it's a tight knit community. It's not always, you know, dog eat dog. A lot of folks don't mind, you know, lending a hand and helping out and, and helping people kind of work their way up the ladder. So that's, it's good to hear stories like that, that most people may not be aware of, you know, and without, and I want to ask you this question you know, was there, and you, and you kind of talked about uh, working up through different classes and racing different kind of cars, you know, was there a, a point in there, and, and obviously you were a very talented, you know, uh, I think you said seven national championships and several in the state of South Carolina, you know, was there a point or points in there that if you, you know, was there something that you would go back and do differently uh than if you had the chance to and none of us do and maybe go a different path or or, are you comfortable with that are you did things turn out the way that they were supposed to be obviously you're very successful but if you had a chance to go back and change anything is there anything you would change and you know or or is there not you know i think the biggest thing for me was just when i got introduced to racing um you know a lot of kids are introduced when they're five, six, seven years old. And honestly, I was 12 before I ever saw a, a go-kart race and before I knew go-kart racing was a thing. And, um, so by the time I did that and, and, um, you know, worked my way through that and, and got a successful career in go-karts, I was already 20 years old when I finished mm-hmm. racing go-karts. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're 20, when you run your first late mile stock race, um, and then, you know, you go through a few years of that to where you, you know, it was probably, I was probably 24, 24 years old before I would say that I was ready to go bush racing. And, um, you know, right about that time that I was ready to go bush racing, there was this huge kick in the sport where they thought that everybody needed to be 18 or 19 years old. I mean, at that time you didn't even have to be 18 to run a bush race. Um, right. so you had a lot of young guys and, 
And I think from a sponsorship standpoint, the sponsors really liked the, the younger kids and thought that they were a little bit more marketable and, and, and different things. And, you know, also, I think just from my personality and the kind of person that I was, I was quiet. I wasn't, you know, uh, really outgoing. I didn't go after sponsors myself or, or money myself. I just kind of expected for somebody to let me <laughs> drive their car and because I could drive. And, yeah, you know, I think, you know, you look back on that and it was quite a few things that I think added all together and and just never got the the right opportunity at the right time. Well, and you know, those things are sometimes unanswered prayers. I mean, and like I said, obviously things have turned out really well and you've impacted, you know, a lot of careers and you were uh, crew chief for Scott Riggs for a while. Um, and then, and you've done a lot of other things and that, you know, you've impacted, you know, a lot of other careers and that maybe you wouldn't have had uh, had had you taken a different path. So, you know, obviously I, I would say, I mean, would you, you, you I would assume that you would say that you're happy with the way things turned out. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, you know, you always wonder what the driving career would have been like. And, uh, you know, if you could have went on and won a Winston cup championship or a next cup championship or, um, you know, sprint cup championship and, you know, those things, I mean, yeah, I mean, I've been, I've, I've done a good job at what I've done. I've been with some great drivers and great teams and great people underneath me and we've won races and, uh, I've made a good living of it. Uh, I think you could always say that some of the drivers have made a better living of it. You know, they seem to make a little bit more money and all that, but you know, for me, you know, I've, I've worked my way through mm-hmm. the sport and, and, um, you know, I feel like I'm right there with, with the, the top group of crew chiefs and uh, yes, you know, I definitely, so. yeah. <laughs> definitely, I definitely can't, uh, complain. You know, I got a, a great family and a great job and great people behind me. And, uh, like you said, I, I can still make a difference, um, whether mm-hmm. it's in the local racing or, or kids growing up and go-karts. I, I love to see, uh, different kids that are, that are moving up, um, through the sport and, uh, just, just trying to help them when I can, you know, I don't have a ton of time with what I've got going on and, you know, keeping up with my own bunch at home, but, right. um, you know, I'd like to get to more go-kart races, uh, in the future, I'd like to get to more late mile stock races and, and, um, you know, somehow, you know, when I get tired of crew chief and I want to make a, I want to make a huge impact. I want to do what's good for the sport and, and what's good for short track racing and go-karts. And hopefully I can figure that out and, and uh, have a plan when that time comes. Yeah, well, I'm sure you will. And, and to your point, I'd say that, you know, from the three of us, and I, I know you would never say it yourself as far as that that top group of crew chiefs, I'd say that you're probably sitting at the top of it. And uh, you don't have to say that you yeah. agree with that, but that's that's the way that we and I'm sure a lot of other people w- would feel. And that's, that's our perspective. Uh, Travis? Yeah, I, I wanted to ask, in doing some research for this, Rodney, one of the things that we learned is that you and Brian Vickers not only got to work together at Michael Walter Racing, but you guys were good friends. How did that relationship begin and you know what started that and how's it how's that relationship today? Yeah, back around nineteen ninety five, um, you know, Brian started racing go karts and they had actually bought a go kart from us. Uh, 
and then on the on top of that um you know the guy that was kind of helping them all the time was uh well actually a couple guys that were helping them a, a guy named Corey smith and a, a guy named uh, keith bryant well, both of those guys were good friends with us we always parked with each other at the racetracks and at the go-kart tracks and so i got to know brian you know probably the biggest thing was in 1996 um there was a, a guy named tim reed that was basically paying for me to race um and i had quite a few people that were kind of helping me at that time but the reason that tim was paying for me to race was because i was taking his grandson racing all the time uh, mm-hmm. his grandson was named marty reed and and just um it was crazy you know marty and brian vickers ran the same class together so brian was our toughest competition uh they had super nice stuff um you know his dad his dad clyde was from the motorsports industry and selling engine parts and all that kind of uh, stuff and and also you know the guys that that were working on their stuff Corey smith was one of the best um go-kart guys back then and you know so we were racing against each other all the time and um you know it was for me it was almost important that we would beat him and um but we ended up winning the national championship that year and and, um, you know, we just, you know, our, our families were friends ever since. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, when when the opportunity come about for him to drive the 55 car at, at uh, Waltrip, it was kind of something that I think both of us had thought about for years. You know, what would it be like to, to go race together? And, um, you know, I think that the two of us were just really comfortable with each other, the way that we talked to each other and, I felt like that I could help him and he could help me. And, and, uh, so it, it worked great, you know, from the time that he got in that car, we had some great runs together and almost won some races together. Yeah, it was a good run. I, I, I agree. I, I remember those days and, um, you guys were a formidable, formidable team, always, always in, in uh, contention for the win for sure. So <clears throat> Ronnie, this is Andrew. I, you know, we were talking about, if you look at Kevin's career, he, he was a, he was a pretty good driver. But then when you guys got together, man, it it really took off, right? Uh, kind of lightning in a bottle. You guys have won 35 races together. What is it about that relationship? I mean, you've worked with some other guys. What is it about the two of you? Where does that synergy come from? What do you, what do you think makes you guys so successful? Well, I think the biggest thing is we just have the same goals and we're the same kind of people. I think mm-hmm. um, I think in the beginning, you know, when when the when the news first came out that Kevin Harvick wanted Rodney Childers to be his his crew chief everybody's like well those two aren't the same at all you know they (laughs) you got this no you got this guy that's real quiet and keeps to himself and this other guy that's you know blowing up all the time and right uh but you know in all honesty we were the same and we wanted the same things and he wanted to win a championship and i wanted to win a championship and you know i think for me i wanted that opportunity um you know i I always felt like I would, I, I could do it if I got the right opportunity. And looking back on it, I needed somebody like Kevin Harvick because his experience and the things that he had went through in his career and in his life and taking over Dell Senior's car and all that stuff, he had so much in his brain of, you know, the way races play out and what mm-hmm. you should do when. And, um, you know, he almost helped you know me make the right decisions and you know he he'll still tell you to this day that he always tells me to go with my gut go with my gut and 
you know, he can always tell that if I change my mind and it doesn't go right. And it's like, well, I told you you should have went with your gut. <laughs> um, you know, we just, we're just a, a lot alike and we just get along. We don't argue. He knows that he knows that I've got his back and I know that he's got mine and, um, you know, I'm not out to do anything but win races. And he, right. he knows that our team is going to work hard at that. And if we don't win, he knows that we're going to go work hard until we do win. And he doesn't, you know, jump down our throats. He doesn't you know, make comments. Uh, you know, he is constructive and tries to help us get better. And, um, you know, but it, it's not a, just about he and I, I mean, it, it's really the whole team. We've been really fortunate. Um, everybody always picks on me like, how in the world did you put such a good group together? And, you know, for seven years, we've had that same group of people and, mm -hmm. and, and been able to keep it together and just, you know, I don't have to hold hands. I don't have to, you know, beg people to work and I don't have to ask people to do things. It just all happens on its own because everybody wants the same goals. And, um, it's just, it's, it's crazy. If I could just carry a camera around on my shoulder for a month, everybody would be like, I can't believe that team just runs as good as it does. So that sounds like um, a documentary, Rodney. You get a little yeah. hat with a GoPro on it. You could probably sell that. Yeah. To, well, you can't sell it to NBCSM, but you might be able to sell it to somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's crazy how much some people are making on YouTube videos these days. I should, I should probably start that up. <laughs> so you speaking to Kevin as well in the athletic article that you, that came out, you talked about his leadership and, you know, we don't want to rehash last year. I mean, everybody, you, you've spoken at it ad nauseum, you, you know, but what was, what did he do? You, you, you spoke to it a little bit. What did he do with the team? Sort of, he kind of took that leadership mantle, you said, and, you know, how did he keep them motivated for not just Phoenix, but then the off season and then going into 2021? What was that leadership like from him? Well, he's always been a great leader and, you know, we all go through different things in life and different times. Um, you know, it, it could be anything, you know, you could be going through some hard times at home. You could have, um, a friend, a parent, somebody that's battling something, mm -hmm. uh, an illness or cancer. Um, so like our team is so much of a family, you know, we all feel each other's you know, every day, like I could, I could be at work for two hours and somebody walk up to me and said, what's wrong? You know, I don't have to, like, I, I would feel like I'm not acting any different and somebody will know that I'm thinking it. about something. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's just kind of how we are. But, you know, with, with the, the Martinsville thing, I think he was kind of expecting the worst, uh, going into that race. And, you know, honestly, after the race, I was just furious and, he walked in the trailer and he, he had a, a somewhat smile on his face and he said, look, I appreciate the effort all year. We won nine races and, and he's in the one, he's on one side of the lounge and I'm on the other side of the lounge and I'm throwing stuff and yelling <laughs> and carrying on. And you flipped roles and to, yeah, you would think that would be the reverse. <laughs> you, you really yeah, would. Yeah. 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 But, um, you know, he just, he gets it, you know, he, he knows how hard we worked and, you know, I think, you know, looking back on it, we all just kind of banked on winning at Texas and pushed too hard, um, you know, and we probably didn't need to. We probably just needed to say, hey, you know, the track might be wet and we just need to get to the end of this stage and get some stage points. And you, know, you look back on that day, if we could have just got, you know, if we could have got 18 stage points that day and finished 
you know, anywhere in the top 10 at Texas, no matter what had happened, if we could have just mm-hmm. got a top 10, um, or, or say 10 more points, that's 28 points. And it would have been hard to, to screw up Martinsville that bad. So, right. you know, it was just one of those things that didn't go our way, but you know, we still look back at the year as a huge success. Um, you know, there's not too many times you can win nine races no. and lead that many laps and, mm-hmm and do the things that that we did uh during tough times too you know like you know i, I stayed at home for almost two months and we were, we were still winning races and my engineers you know were staying at home uh, you know my car chief would only go to the shop one day a week uh it was crazy but you know we were able to fight through it and and make a good year out of it yeah and and do you think that um you, you talked about about texas and all that kind of stuff but you guys, you've made some calls, and it's obviously been addressed during the race, where you you go with your gut, and you say, all right, we're going to make this call that's a little off. You know, we're going to change it up. We're going to do something a little different. You guys have won a lot of races doing that. You know, and, and so I'm assuming that both you and Kevin say, hey, you know, this is what's got us this far. We can't let one bad thing. So maybe we screwed up Texas. But if, if, we, if we start second-guessing ourselves, you know, now we're going to be chasing our own tails, and, and maybe that's that's not what made us successful in the first place. I mean, is that kind of how you try to look at it? Yeah, in a way, you know, Martinsville was a place that, that, um, you know, it's just changed so much. And, and, you know, the biggest reason is just the tires changed. And, um, you know, in 14, 15, I think maybe the, the first race in 16, it was a different kind of race. You know, when you went to Martinsville, you unloaded off the truck and you're like, all right, the biggest thing is, is we got to make sure this thing don't get too loose after 15 when the left rear tire is shredded off. Mm-hmm. And you set your car up around that. And now the left side tires don't wear at all. And the biggest thing is, is making sure that you don't get too tight by the end of the race. It's completely the opposite of what it used to be. Hmm. So, you know, we were leading laps. I know in 2015, we led like, I don't know, half the race at Martinsville. And we didn't end up winning. We ended up, you know, somewhere fourth or fifth or somewhere. And maybe I don't know where we ended up. But, um, you know, overall, we were having good races back then. We wouldn't qualify good. And, he, you know, he would just blame it on himself, saying that he's never qualified good there. He doesn't, he's not good at charging the corner as hard as the people that qualify good. But we would, you know, drive to the front. We would race good. As soon as the tires quit wearing, you know, it, it's been a struggle for us. And, um, you know, our problem is, is we always get too tight at the end of the race. And then this time we're like, we are not going to get too tight at the end <laughs> of the race. Well, then we ended up too loose the first half of the race and couldn't get any stage points because we were so loose. But in reality, the last 50 laps of the Martinsville race this past year was the best we've ever been at the end of any Martinsville race. Yeah. Y'all right. were, y'all were hauling the mail there <laughs> at the end. And so, so, I mean, you know, it's, it's just crazy you know we didn't we didn't hit it exactly right we needed to be somewhere in the middle where you could at least get some stage points at the beginning and we didn't we didn't capitalize on that but and that may be uh, something at least you can take with you for you know 2021 whatever information you got there at the end of that race and it may help you when you go back there and you know for that race this next fall i mean that's i guess the the silver lining you know for that um you know and, and speaking of that and and i just was curious about about this, you know, having what happened 
and and then we'll we'll move on the way it did at the end of 2020. Does that change your you know your style going in 2021? You know, do you feel do you have a chip on your shoulder? It, does it make you more aggressive? Do you go do you approach it differently because of of that, or do you say you know what guys? It it was one of the things that just didn't work out for us. Let's approach this like that won us nine races last year, got us in position that we needed to be in. You know, what is the approach? Is it the same, or does it change a little bit with the way that in, that that all shook out there at the end? You know, for us, you know, we we don't talk about the points at all. We don't talk about the championship at all. Um, you know, for us, it's about winning every race you go to. Mm-hmm. And you know, in the beginning, I sat in front of everybody at the beginning of 2014. And, you know, there's 35 people in a room. And I said, look, unless we can go to the racetrack and we can be first in every practice, sit on the pole, lead the most laps, win the race, nothing else is good enough. Mm-hmm. And they all looked at me like, that's crazy. You're never going to do that. <laughs> and, I'm, and, I, and I think after like a month of going to the racetrack, they realized how serious I was. Like if, if you can't do that, then, then you need to be working and you got to figure it out and you got to be better. And, you know, so that mentality from that first year has just carried us through Mm -hmm. even until now. And, you know, finishing second sucks, you know, so you, you got to do something about it the next week. And, you know, whether I have to call a better race or we have to have faster cars or we got to make better adjustments during the race, um, you know, there's tons of things that go into it, but you got to hit every little detail and, and that's what, you know, our group is, is good at. And as far as going into this year, I think the things that we look at the most are the races that we were really good at that now aren't there. So, you know, mm-hmm. Dover, for instance, we feel like we can win every time we go to Dover. Well, now we've taken one Dover race away. We feel like we can win when we go to Texas. We've taken a, a Texas race away. We feel like, you know, Michigan is one of our best places. We took a Michigan race away. Um, Bristol is one of our best places. We took a Bristol race away and made it dirt. So <laughs> yeah. Fontana's you know, gone. You guys usually so we kind of well. Yeah, so we kind of feel like those are four wins, you know, in mm-hmm. a way that we've got to say, okay, well, we can't win those four. We've got to win mm-hmm. some somewhere else. And um, you know, Loudon, for instance, we've always been strong at, and, you know, turns around, you know, what, two years ago, we lost a Loudon race or last year we lost a Loudon race. So we've got to focus on the new things. We've got to focus on, you know, what's good for the sport and going to these new venues and we've got to get better at road mm-hmm. racing or get, you know, go back to being better at road racing. I felt like in the beginning in 14 and 15, we were exceptional at road racing and we've kind of lost our way and we've got to figure that out again. But it's more about, you know, being good at the places that we haven't been good at. We've got to get better at Martinsville, mm-hmm. the road courses. And, and just, you know, with the 550 package, it changed our type of racing. You know, we, mm-hmm. Kevin was one of the best at taking care of tires and doing all those things. And honestly, when we went to the 550 package, it took him half the year to figure out how to race these things again and, you know, being aggressive on restarts and doing all those things. So, um, you know, that's us. We, we focus on what we got to do better at and just keep working. We don't talk about last year. We don't, we don't even talk about the races we won. We don't mm-hmm. talk about any of it. We just talk about what we got to do better. 
Gotcha. Well, the good news is we're not going to talk about it anymore either. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you were talking about all the places that you're not going to get to go. Uh, the good news is you get to go to Atlanta twice. Um, but my question is, you know, as you look at the schedule, you mentioned the types of races you want to get or you need to get better at. But with no practice, no qualifying, and, you know, only tire tests – how do you get better? Is it all simulation based? Is it based off of the experience that Kevin has? What can you do besides, you know, performing in a points race to get to know whether you got better or not? Yeah. You know, you bring up a good point. It's so tough right now. It's probably the toughest year ever to to try to come up with ways to get better. Um, You know, I think everybody knows we had the next gen car coming uh, for 2021, you know, then the COVID thing started and we all as a sport kind of had to ax that program for another year. But before all the COVID thing started, we all decided as a sport that we're going to submit all of our parts. And that way nobody's focused on the old car all year long. You know, you're not making new truck arms and new suspension components and new spindles and spending all this money when we all could be focusing on the next gen car and what we got to do with it and, and getting prepared for it. Well, then when the COVID thing started, you know, that postponed the next gen car. And so that left the whole sport in a situation where we can't change anything. You know, our chassis are submitted. We can't, we can't come up with a new chassis design. We can't build new spindles. We can't build a, a different truck arm or, a different rear clip that flexes more and all these different things that we all used to sit all winter and think about and how we could make better. So all that stuff's gone. And so right now you have to look at, all right, how can we make our arrow better than somebody else or with the rule changes, how can we, um, you know, not lose as much downforce as everybody else? How can we make more mechanical grip? But like you said, you don't know until you get there. And, and that's, you know, a place like Martinsville is even the hardest one because, you know, even if you did practice at Martinsville, you don't learn anything in practice. You don't <laughs> learn anything until you get halfway through the race. So sometimes you have to shoot in the dark a little bit, but you just use simulation. Uh, you know, we still have a seven post that uh, the guys sit in there and they try different shocks and spring combinations and at least give us data on that. Not to say that we live and die by that, but you know, everybody's just trying their to do their part and try to, you know, it's, it's all about percentages, you know, like if you can get 2% better then you know, you got a shot of winning. So you gotta, you gotta just come up with those little things all the time and those little details to to try to get better. Rodney, speaking of the next gen car, you know, how do you balance doing what you need to do for 2021 with the car that you have uh, and the, the guidelines that you have for this year and then preparing for 2022? When do you start building those, testing that, or is that something, I I assume that's not something you would wait to do until you know the off season how do you balance that do you bring more people in do you reassign people on to that project how do you how do you manage that you know honestly our place has been really quiet about it they don't you know they don't really bring it up in meetings very much they don't bother the crew chiefs with it or the teams with it i don't think we've really hired anybody else you know especially with the covid thing and and the you know, the sponsorship dollars are, have went down and, and, you know, there's been pay cuts and everything else. But, 
they have assigned some different people to different things. Um, you know, I, I know from our standpoint, you know, our aero group is trying to handle most of the aero stuff for Ford and get the body submitted, which I think they've already done for Ford and, and all that. But I've, I've never even seen one in our shop. I've never went to a test with one yet. I haven't even put my hands on one. I saw one over at NASCAR one time when we were over there for teardown, uh, one week after we won, but, um, you know, it's something that it, it still has a lot of work. Um, you know, they've been through quite a few chassis revisions and suspension revisions and body modifications and stuff. And, Honestly, until they get all that worked out, there's not a lot that a crew chief can do. You know, until you're handed a car, you know, especially if it's just going to be a, everybody's going to have the same chassis and everybody's going to have the same bodies and same, you know, suspension components. There's not much that I can, you know, make a decision on or start thinking mm-hmm. about quite yet. So, you know, for us, you know, just like last year, we just want to stay focused on what we're doing and what we have and. Um, you know, there's so much that can change, you know, throughout, you know, the year and, you know, especially with the pandemic going on and everything. So we're just going to try to keep trying to win races with what we have. And, you know, I think probably middle of the year is when some of those chassis that start rolling out, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think in July or something, maybe we'll get our first chassis or something like that. And at that point, you know, there comes a time where you got to get it out on the shop floor and put it on four stands and let everybody in the shop just bring their own notebook and their own pen and make their own list of things that that you think could be better or what we could do and um and then start you know just working on it and and try to try to figure it all out gotcha that's kind of what i assumed would happen it's just that would be a lot to kind of deal with at one time but sounds like you guys have have a plan for that speaking of you know planning for a race what can you tell us if anything about this bristol dirt race you know have you guys started building cars for that uh what can fans kind of expect to see that's different i mean obviously the dirt the the handling is going to be different the setup's going to be different what can you share with us about that uh anything i mean i think the biggest thing for me is just been asking questions you know the, the truck guys have done this quite a bit you know i've talked to quite a few different truck guys and then you know gms was was nice enough to actually take their dirt truck over to NASCAR and, and Mike Beam said that, you know, any of the cup guys that want to come look at it can just let them come look at it. So, mm-hmm. I mean, God, I think we sent, you could only send three people at a time, you know, with the regulations right now. And I think we sent like four or five groups over there, <laughs> you know, just <laughs> checking it out and you know taking notes and, you know, I think the biggest thing is you got to finish. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, two two hundred and fifty laps. I mean, you guys know I've raced a long time, and and most of my stuff in the beginning was all on dirt. And you know, a really long dirt late model race, really long one, is a hundred laps. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most of them are forty laps, fifty laps, some of them seventy five, but a long one is a hundred laps. 250 laps on dirt is forever. Um, You know, what is the racetrack going to do in 250 laps? Mm -hmm. And the thing for me is I want to finish, you know, you know, Kevin's not a dirt racer, but if we can finish, uh, we can still be competitive. You know, there's going to be guys that are up against the fence and doing different things. So we've really just been looking at what can we do to, to prevent things from happening, you know, keep the body on the car, keep the deck lid on the car, keep the nose on the car. Um, you know, what can we do, uh, from different components, you know, 
whether it's the rear end housing and the truck arms, make sure that stuff is, you know, stiff enough that it won't bend. Um, you know, we even got a, a set of dirt tires and put on a car just to see what, you know, what was going to rub, whether it was going to, you know, mm-hmm. sway our arms are going to rub. You got to start thinking about all those things. Right. And then, you know, the rest of it's just, you know, how does the racetrack layout end up being, you know, they're still putting dirt down and it sounds like they're going to try to get as much banking out of it as they can, uh, just to get the loads down. But, you know, if it, you know, 250 lap race, it's going to dry out and it's going to get hard. And the question is, is, does it get hard and come apart? Does it get hard and put rubber down? And, you know, if you got, you know, 25 degrees of banking and it gets hard and starts putting rubber down, the tires are going to come apart. There's no way that they're going to make it. So, you know, there's so many questions of mm-hmm. you know, what, what could go wrong. And I think that's, that's the biggest thing in my notebook is trying to make sure you have your bases covered on what could go wrong. I think too, we, we were talking a couple of weeks ago with Matt, Matt McCall when he was on and we were asking like 40 cars, a lot of cars on a dirt half mile, right? I mean, it's a conveyor belt on concrete. Is there enough space? Are they going to do heat races? How, I mean, I don't, you're right. 250 laps, a long time. So any, any clue is NASCAR giving you guys any idea? I mean, is it going to be all 40 guys for 250 laps? I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. Um, wow. you know, there's still, there's still stage ends and there's still everybody out there. And, you know, the thing you got to look at is, you know, we used to run 500 laps at, you know, we'd have a restart and run a 14.9 around there after right. a restart on fresh tires. And you're going to be, I mean, after 150 laps and the track is, is you know, wore out and gone, like you're going to be running 22 second lap times, I bet. And, um, you know, you start adding 22 seconds up for 250 laps. So it's, it's still just as long as anything else we've done in Bristol. You know, it's mm-hmm. still going to be a good four and a half hour race. Easy. So. And you think about um, all the cautions they're going to have because, right? Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, it could be twenty cautions in this race. Um, yeah, for sure. I did want to ask you, sort of switching gears a little bit. Um, you know, we've kind of armchair quarterbacked the playoffs around here for a little while, and we like the format. We like the three rounds uh, as fans. We like the fact that that you know. It's sort of a, it's sort of like a playoff bracket, right? You don't start the chase so far out in front like you did to, before, or so far behind you have no shot at winning. But the one thing that that we all kind of talk about a little bit is is that last race, winner take all, or not winner, highest finisher take all. The Cup Series has been lucky that it's always been a winner. But what do you, what do you think about? Do you think they should tweak it, make it a three lap or three race? Do you think they should do what was it that the somebody had a CJ CJ Flay recommended that the top four <laughs> start at the back. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and you know that was a great idea. Except Chase Elliott kind of blew yeah, that out of the water this idea. year at Phoenix. Yeah. Um, but what do you think about the playoff? I mean, are you happy with it? I know you got to race them. I mean, it's like Tony always used to say: "This is what yeah. we've signed up for." But do you like it? Do you think you? I mean, would you rather have them tweak it, or you like it the way it is? Um, I think sometimes it depends on what year it is. You know? <laughs> uh, Man, we set up set up two thousand. You know, two thousand fourteen. You know, we won the championship, but we would not have won the championship if it was the old format. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you look at 
the years since then, I think there's three of the years that we would have been the champion if it was the mm. old format. So mm-hmm. if you just want to add up points all year, then we'd be a three-time champion by now, which right. is cool. But on right. the other side of it, you know, that would be boring if, you know, somebody started, you know, 10 races ago and somebody had a 250-point lead or, or bigger or whatever it could be, you know. So, you know, for us – you know, we, we want to do what's right for the sport and, and all that. And we know the championships are hard to come by with it being a one race deal. And, you know, sometimes it goes your way and sometimes it doesn't, but you know, that's why we, we focus really hard on doing what's best for our sponsors and winning as many races as we can, you know, leading as many laps as you can, the more laps you lead, normally the more TV time you get. And, and that's, uh, that's where it's at. That's what you got to do. So that's right. You know, yeah, it, yeah. Like Tony says, we, we just get out there and race and, and fortunate that we get to, to do what we love. So speaking of the boss, man, what's it like to work for old smoke? You know, it has changed a lot over the years, you know, when he was still racing, you know, he was at the shop a lot more, uh, especially in the beginning when he was wanting me to come to work for him and all. And, you know, I think, um, he's just like any of us he's raced his whole life and he's ready for a little bit of retirement and do the things that he loves and right i think over the last year and a half he's kind of started figuring out what that road looks like and you know even though i don't hardly ever see him i'm happy as as i can be for him because um no matter what picture i see of him or a video i see of him i can tell by the smile on his face mm-hmm. and the smirk that you know just how happy he is and um he's he's a fierce competitor and he expects a lot out of all of us but he he has never one time you know said anything to me about a a bad call i made or or anything like that he's always been supportive and he's just like kevin he realizes that all of us are out to win and if we don't Mm -hmm. win that we're gonna work hard to to get better but you know he's a he's a good person i don't don't think uh anybody could ever argue that he's got the biggest heart and um yeah, you know, he's he's definitely out for for all of us and wants to, uh, wants to take care of everybody in that shop for sure. So we know, especially with the way that COVID worked out this year, uh, that you guys had to rely a lot more on your engineers back at the shop in the in the war room, so to say. How does that? influence the calls that you make on race day i know that a lot of times it's you know your gut that makes the decision how much do you rely on what a computer says versus what your gut says um you know to be just to be honest like we still don't make any decisions off of what a computer says it's Mm -hmm, still mm -hmm. still our gut um and i say our gut i mean there's four of us there's there's me there's uh and there's three engineers one of them goes with me to the racetrack two of them stays at home um but that particular group has got really strong over the last few years you know i feel like we got behind a little bit on the communication side of things Uh, you know every other you know, good team in the garage had put in intercoms and had people, you know, had a way to talk to the shop, you know, even from the pit box, they were talking to the shop and the, the guys at the shop, you know, always feeding information about the rest of the the field and what was going on and the SMT data and how somebody's driving versus us and, and, you know, where we're getting beat. And, um, you know, we, it was a huge investment going into last year of, of getting all that intercom stuff worked out. And 
thank God that we had just got all that stuff before the COVID thing hit. Yeah, no kidding. Because, mm. you know, if we didn't have all that stuff, we would still be in chat rooms trying to type back and forth, you know, during the race mm. and, you know, racing against all these people that are just plainly talking to each other. So mm-hmm. it all worked out. And, but, you know, it sounds like to me that every team is a little bit different. You know, I, I think the, the RCR war room and the, the systems that they have and uh, the stuff that they do during the race is definitely different than us. We, we still just race. Um, you know, yeah, you got some caution history and you got, you know, what some of the other guys are doing and stuff like that. But we, we don't really run something that says, Hey, you should run this out further. or You should do this or you should do that. It's still, kind of a gut call of, of what you think is right at the time. And, you know, those gut calls are always different, different times of the year too, whether you're good in points or not good in points or you need a stage win or you don't need a stage win. So, you know, those things are, are still, uh, I'd say a little different with our team, but we're, we're definitely starting to get with the technology a little bit also. So when we all saw that war room, or at least some of us, we, we let, you know, it's kind of reminded me of, the way F1 is kind of set up and, you know, a lot of sports are going analytics and lots of big data and, and you, you've addressed that, but does Gene ever say, Hey, we're doing this on the F1 side in terms of communication or the way we administer a process. Does he ever try and cross pollinate that? Or is it really set completely two separate organizations? It's two separate deals, you know, um, you know, especially with what was going on in the world last year. I don't think I ever saw Gene the whole year, but you know, they, they kind of do their thing over there and, and we kind of do ours, but, um, not to say that we don't think about some of the stuff that they do. Um, you know, they've, they've been doing that intercom thing back to their shop and stuff for, for a long time. But, um, I think no matter what kind of racing it is, we pay attention, you know, um, you know, NASCAR people watch drag racing and drag racing right. people watch NASCAR and NASCAR people watch Formula One and back and forth, you know. So, you know, we try to all learn from each other and how, how to get better. So along that line, a little bit, I was going to ask this later on, but since we kind of touched on it, is there, you know, someone that you've never had a chance to, to meet or sit down or, you know, have a conversation with that you'd like to, just if you had 15 minutes to spend with, with anybody uh, that you haven't had a chance to spend with, and this could be someone that's that that's still with us or, or not. Who would that person? Who would that person be? You know, from the racing side of it, I've been pretty fortunate. Um, you see all the the heroes in the sport, and you know, there's a lot of crew chiefs that have won a lot of races. And honestly, I've been able to to make friends with about all of them, and I've had conversations with all of them, and 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 all that kind of stuff um there's so many people that build our sport up but Mm -hmm. if you could go back to where it was you know smoky was still around if you could just (laughs) have a conversation Mm -hmm. with him that would be pretty cool but you know honestly from the racing world i've been fortunate enough to to be friends with a lot of people and you know i i I think back at the year that our car chief for brendan gone you know um you know buddy baker rode with me in my rental car all year long Oh, so wow. You can imagine, you can imagine stories. those stories. Oh, you know, my back goodness. And forth to the racetrack every day. And, wow. Um, so, you know, you think about 38 races and two rides a, a oh, day my <laughs> back and forth to the hotel. But he was, he was incredible. But yeah, I mean, there's so many people that mm-hmm. have been good to me, honestly. Um, you, know, you, you always hear people say, well, good things happen to good people. But, 
you just try to pe- treat people like you want to be treated and i think that i've tried to do that over the years and you know i've had a lot of people help me out and give me advice and and do the try to do the right things you know absolutely it, it goes around and, and things get get paid back and pay forward for, for sure and in other you know interviews we've heard with you or about you you know people have nothing but th- good things to say about how you've treated them and i think that's you know that's a, that's a testament to you and your upbringing and your values and and things that you believe in so you know i, I definitely and into that vein good things do happen to to good people um take us off the track if you if you don't mind what does uh what do you like to do uh, when you're not at the track, uh, when you've got some downtime? Take us kind of off the track with, with Rodney Childers just a little bit. What are what are some things that interest you off the track? Yeah, I mean, you know, my whole life I've never cared about being inside. I've never liked to watch TV. Um, just to be honest, like, I mean, I could go a month and never turn the TV on at home, <laughs> and it doesn't, it doesn't bother me at all. You could take all of them out of the house, and it wouldn't bother me at all, but – um I, I like to be outside i like to do things um I, I like to go ride utvs in the mountains or on you know different off-road trails uh just recently we you know my my boys have kind of got more interested in riding four-wheelers and dirt bikes and uh, kind of doing that again and then probably one of the biggest things i've done over the last god probably eight years is uh you know wake surfing on lake norman with, mm. uh, with a wake mm-hmm. with a wake boat and i seem to keep a, a malibu wake boat every year and and uh that's been something fun for me i like designing them you know and, and coming up with different colors and different things and that's cool uh, oh, i didn't know that cool. i know you've had a re- yeah. relationship with them for a while yeah it's been pretty neat um we've got another one ordered now it should be here in april so it'd be cool to see how that turns out mm-hmm. but you know, other than that, it, I really like camping. Uh, we've got a fifth wheel camper we tote, you know, around the different campgrounds. And, um, you know, once I get done racing, I think we'll do a lot more of that. You know, try to travel a little bit further than what we have sure. uh, so far. But, you know, it's it's just normal life, you know, at home and doing a few fun things. i got a go-kart I keep over at GoPro and go ride it on uh, some days when I'm away from the shop and, just you know, things that have motors on them and and uh, <laughs> and go fast. <laughs> yeah, that can still still be fun. Absolutely, Travis. You got. I just you know I just wanted to say thank you for the for the time that you've given us and the opportunity to talk to us. Where you know we're two weeks actually from tonight uh, from the clash. What are you guys? Are y'all how how far? in terms of building cars into the season are you right now or or what's what's on the 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 plan before you head to daytona yeah and you know it's it's cool that you ask that because i was just thinking today of like where we're at with things and it, it kind of goes back to the stuff that we can't change you mm-hmm. know whether it's the chassis or the bodies um you know our two daytona 500 cars are primary and back up uh, they're sitting on the shop floor. They've already been set up. They're already wrapped. They already have nose guards on. The windows wow. are silicone. Um, one of them has already been safety checked and ready to go. Uh, the other one gets a motor put in it tomorrow and run, and then it'll go to the chassis dyno. The Clash car is completely done. All we have to do is final scale it. Uh, Homestead car has already got a body on it. It's already built. The Daytona road course car after the 500, it's done. It's on the shop floor. Um, and then our Bristol uh, dirt cars are actually on body plates right now and trying to 
you know, figure that out and the extra bars that they're letting us put in and the, the different splitter structure and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, as far as build sheets, and we actually have a, a uh, not a body build, but a uh, myself and our my engineers, we have a, a build sheet meeting about once a week. And we're all the way up to, to Phoenix now. Wow. Uh, we got our yeah. we got our Phoenix meeting tomorrow, and that's where we talk about setups and and what we're going to change going back. And you know, we we start working on that stuff way in advance. But you know, we've already got you know our setup for you know the Daytona Road Course, the Clash, the 500, uh, Homestead. All that is already done. You know, we're already working on phoenix so we'll see uh how it all plays out and and uh hopefully it goes good you know the daytona 500 is is to me a special one this year uh, i think to be the last one with the the old style car mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. with a set of truck arms in the back and a, and a straight axle that's that's pretty important to me and that's one of the last ones i have as far as the the, the big races so we're uh we're looking forward to going down there and and working hard and hopefully have a a good week out of it yeah we hope we hope the same for you um what is uh and you can answer in whatever way you want to what is the is there a a track that you just really get excited about going to i I love man this is coming up i'm excited i love going to this place and is there somewhere like I, I wish I could fast forward to this being over because I just do not like going. <laughs> yeah, maybe to this, to this place. Um, <laughs> you know, can you answer those two questions? Yeah, a favorite yeah. and a and a least favorite. Honestly, Bristol's always been my favorite. Um, Bristol is the type of place that I could run good no matter who was in the car. Hmm. Um, you know, I race there an all pro car. I know what it feels like. I know. Uh, the things that you fight and and all that kind of stuff. And I can stand on top of the truck and I can watch the car go through the corner and I'm comfortable that I know what to do to it without the driver telling me what needs to be done to it. And, you know, we almost won there with Scott Riggs. Uh, We almost won there with Ruderman. We almost won there with Brian Vickers. Uh, We almost, uh, or we have won there a few times with Kevin since, you know, we got teamed up. But overall, it's just been a good place. Um, Sadler, you know, we almost won there with him Mm -hmm. too Mm -hmm. when I was there with him. So um, it's just been a good place for me. You know, so when I found out they're putting dirt on it, I was disappointed, of course. But (laughs) I get it, you know, but uh, not to say we can't win the first one on dirt either. So we're going to still try to do that. But Bristol is exciting to me. I, I love it there. You know, it, it's just cool, you know, you, it, to watch them go around there. And especially if, if you've never been there and stand in the infield uh, down in the corner and you watch them go through there and you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe they do this for 500 laps. But, um, you know, to go around there, I was I tested an opera car up there and then raced it up there. And the opera car, we put a new set of tires on and. Uh, they made us run our sticker plates up there, and I ran eight laps after we put those sticker tires on and pulled off the racetrack, and the guys started yelling at me, why would you come off the track? You were the fastest car. And I said, well, I need to catch my breath. And they said, what? And I said, well, I haven't, I haven't took a breath in eight laps. And they're like, you've been holding your, your breath for eight laps? I said, yes. Wow. So Absolutely. That, yeah. Do you year. think? Do you think that that experience? I mean, you kind of spoke to it about at Bristol first, especially. I mean, is Kevin a guy that that having that driving experience? You guys are able to kind of speak the same language a little bit because 
you've had your butt in the seat and as opposed to, you know, nothing against the guys that came up for a pure engineering background, but does it help you? Do you think it, you believe it helps you that you've had that driving experience and not, and not just driving experience, but a pretty successful one? Yeah, I think the, there's two things that have helped me. Um, you know, one of them is driving and knowing what certain things feel like and just having a lot of experience with, you know, the cars and how they're built and geometry and shocks and springs and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff, um, you know, in my early years. But the second part of it is just learning the engineering side of it. You know, I think mm-hmm. at an early, at an early stage when I got to Everingham and, and I saw Kenny Francis and the way that he worked, we were opposites in a way he stayed in his office all the time and he stayed on his computer running simulation and looking at tire data and figuring out what springs he needed and, and uh, all those things and then i never went in my office and i was always building the cars and all this kind of stuff and we started the year out and i could see his strengths and he could see mine and then we started going to lunch together and he started teaching me you know some things that he does and then you know we started we took our car to the wind tunnel and it was 30 counts better than his and it's like well crap when you just <laughs> stop having we gotta <laughs> we gotta we gotta figure this out but you know, he was probably the guy that got me going in the right direction the most um, from the engineering standpoint. And from that point on, I just accepted the engineering side of it. You know, even mm-hmm. though I didn't have an engineering degree, uh, I could run sim. I could, you know, do kinematics with the front end. I could do all those things, you know. And some of that is just having the right people around you, too. I've been fortunate enough mm-hmm. to have really good engineers that accept me for who I am. And um they they know that yeah he's not an engineer but they know that i'm gonna, i'm gonna sit in my office and run sim and i'm gonna tell you what i think needs to be in it and and you know they all accept that and but they know that i have their backs too so you know it's a little bit of everything um but overall it's just a, a good chemistry of, of a lot of different things gotcha well and you know there's uh you either have that kind of instinct that you need at the right time or you don't and that's a degree is not going to give you that. And I think that's, that, that's got to come into play as well as definitely having an understanding for the analytics and the way things work. But man, when it comes down to, okay, we, everybody's pitting with, with five to go and uh, we're sitting in row number two and position three or four, and we need to win this race. You know, what, what do we do? How do we do that? You've got to, you've got to be able to make those gut calls and instincts and you got to have a, have a good balance for sure. And I'm sure they, you know, the guys that work with you respect you for that. Um, Andrew, you had, you had yeah, one more? I, we'll let you go here in a second, Rodney. I, I just had one oh, more question fine. I was thinking about. In truck and Xfinity, right, they, they have tire limits. And, and sometimes that makes it for a really interesting second and third stage because you can't just, if it's a high wear track, you can't just come in and bolt four new ones on it every single time the caution comes out. And I know you guys have, have tire limits as well, I believe. But do you think they should further restrict it and make it make it where there's a little more strategy involved or, or do you think it's fine the way it is? Well, you know, I, I think there's a lot to that question, honestly. Um, you know, there, there is some teams that push for the limits to get more like Xfinity, but I think, you know, for us, you have to look at, all right, if, if it's the 750 package, we have more horsepower, we have less downforce, yeah. we spin the tires more, we use the brakes more, our tire wear is always way worse than those guys. And, um, so, you know, when you get restricting the tires at a place like Darlington, 
you know, from a fan's perspective, you're like, well, if they just had less tires, you know, they'd have to stay out there on old tires. And really the only thing it would turn into, I feel like for us is, you know, everybody running until you're in the cords and blowing tires and mm-hmm, hitting the wall right, and, right, you know, mm-hmm. possibly getting somebody hurt. I've seen different instances in the Xfinity races that I thought, man, that that's cool that they, you know, didn't have another set of tires and this guy saved the set and blasted by them at the end of the race or right. whatever. With us, it's so competitive, you know, and, and the Xfinity thing, you got about six cars that can win. <laughs> right. <laughs> and with us, you know, you really have 20 cars that can win. And if you're the guy that stays out on old tires, you're going to get lapped in five laps. And then if another caution comes out, you're never going to get your lap back. And, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, man, I, I'm the wrong person to probably ask that question because <laughs> no, that's fine. I feel like, I feel like they should have the most horsepower you can put in them and the, the least downforce and spin the tires all the way down the straightaway and, and give them as many tires as they want because, you know, you're going to have things like happen at the end of 2014 at Homestead where, you know, the four car comes down and puts four tires on. You got Denny Hamlin that stays out and you got ryan newman that's on two tires that all of a sudden he's fast and um you know it was just a yeah you know you couldn't have asked for that to be any better you got right. three different guys that are getting ready to mm-hmm. or really four um and they're all on different plans you got the guy on four tires starting 14th and you're like there's no way and 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 you know he there's no way he's gonna win the race uh starting back there and it just makes for for you know good racing and um, you know, to me, that's what 900 horsepower and, <laughs> and, uh, unlimited tires kind of looked like was, was what it looked like back then. Well, and, and part of you wants to see the best stock car drivers in the world drive, you know, go fast. You don't want to see them managing and, and trying to preserve tires and the racing be, you know, terrible. Yeah. I, I'd love, you know, if budgets were unlimited, I'd love to just see, you know, give you 20 sets and let you go do whatever, you know, just burn them up. Yeah, I mean, I do feel like every racetrack's different. You know, I, I can remember having a, you know, a conversation or an email or something. I, I remember sending O'Donnell something in 15 when he asked my opinion. And I was like, you know, some of these tracks, you just need to make them where they draft. Mm-hmm. You know, a place, a place like Michigan, if we could keep them all in a pack and, you know, keep it exciting like you do Daytona and Talladega, that would be awesome. And and I think some of that's what turned into this 550 package. But, you know, and it has been good. You know, we've had good restarts and, and different things at some of these tracks. But then, you know, you got some of these other ones that, you know, the horsepower thing was, was awesome at. So, you know, it, it's tough as a sport to figure out what's right everywhere. You know, I think I think we learned in a hurry that, the real low horsepower and real high downforce was not good at places like Martinsville and Loudon and Richmond. Uh, you know, we couldn't pass at all. So, you know, I think, um, you know, we've all learned together over the last few years of what's good and what's bad. And, you know, hopefully 2021 will put on some good shows for everybody. Yeah, we sure hope so. We, we sure enjoyed 2020. I think it was one of the few things that got a lot of us through the pandemic was, you know, having NASCAR every weekend, you know, so many other sports being, being postponed and stuff. So we, we certainly appreciate all the sacrifices you guys had to make work or, or twice a week, you know, well, or twice a week. Yeah. yeah. Or, and you know, weird shop hours and y'all having to do swing shifts. And I mean, that's been hard on the crew guys and the mechanics and the shop guys. So, uh, you know, it's been, we, we as fans certainly appreciate all that effort. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah, I appreciate you know you guys saying that. I mean, it it was tough at times, but there was a lot of a lot of first responders and different people in the hospitals that were working a lot harder sure. than we were. So yeah, absolutely, uh, you know, we were still getting to do what what we loved every weekend, even if it was twice a week. Um, you know, but you know, it, it was a different kind of year for sure. And you know, hopefully, you know, the whole world we can kind of get this behind us where it's over with and, and get moved on and get everybody healthy again. Rodney, my final question is simply, uh, you guys won the first race back at Darlington. What was that like with no fans? I mean, how weird was that? You know, to be honest, I noticed it before the race when the national anthem was sang. And I thought to myself, then this, this is weird. (laughs) And, You know, you get to racing, and we run the whole race. Never crossed my mind the whole race that there's no fans up there because hmm. you're just completely focused on what mm-hmm. you're doing. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we cross the finish line, and everybody's celebrating, and I'm telling everybody not to be, you know, too close. You know, even <laughs> though we just won, I'm telling them, don't Six be hugging feet. each other. Yeah. Don't, <laughs> yeah. And uh, make sure you got your mask on and all this kind of stuff. And I got down off the box and my engineer, Dax, he looks at me. He said, so what are we supposed to do? (laughs) And I said, I'm just going to go to the hauler and take my suit off and put my stuff down. (laughs) And and, uh, that's all I did. I got down off the pit box and walked to the truck. And it was so weird. Like I come out of the truck after taking my suit off and all, and the car was already in tech. And I was like, what in the world? This is crazy. Um, but to be able to, to win the first one at Darlington with no fans there and then win the first one at Darlington with the fans back was pretty mm-hmm. incredible. Um, yep. yeah, that yeah. was, that was awesome. You know, it was crazy. The crowd just went nuts, you know, went after the race. So it was a special year for a lot of different reasons for us, for sure. Talk about, and this, this will be my final question. The, so you win the race at Darlington and then, I believe you decide that you're going to turn the same car around and take it back, but you didn't win. And there's a lot of fans out there that are like, what is the same car? And it's only three days later. Talk about that decision and explain to the fans why it's not that easy that, oh, if I take this car one day and and win with it, you're not automatically going to win the next, are you? Yeah. You know, we won, um, and we had a dominant car that first race. And then, you know, like you said, we're going to take it back three days later. And it didn't have much damage, but it had a little bit. And that was the first time we've ever tried to turn one around that fast. And it was a ton of work. Mm. Um, you know, looking back on it, we probably would have been better off just taking the one that was sitting there ready to go. But we also made a couple small changes. Um, you know, we felt like there toward the end of the race that we got too tight and the front wasn't working quite as good as it needed to. And, you know, you go back and you look at the tire wears and you're like, well, we could be more aggressive with the front cambers. And that's where, you know, we needed more front grip. So we added some front camber to each side. And then we went back the next week and what we thought it was going to do, it really didn't do. And, you know, it just compounded another problem. And, um, but yeah, I mean, 
that was a that was a tough week uh you know like i said we had the other one the other one was sitting there set up ready to go we probably should have just brought it back (laughs) well you know sometimes uh, you draw up the right play the shot just doesn't go in you know i mean yeah yeah for sure (laughs) Mm -hmm. you betcha rodney we do appreciate it uh and we're we're over an hour with you and i i know that you are probably exhausted and would like to go to bed (laughs) <laughs> and um so we so i've got just one kind of final question um and you alluded to this back near the beginning you know you won't be you know crew chief for the number four forever kevin harvick's not gonna race that car forever so at some point you will do something else in racing so what what would you like to do what's next for rodney childers you know uh... I used to think I wanted to be like a, a team manager, mm-hmm. um, like a general manager, a competition director of some sort. And I still think I could do that. Uh, I think some of that depends on which way the sport goes and whether, you know, whether that particular position would still be fun to me. Um, and then also whether I would still want to travel all the time. Um, you know, one thing I have realized with the with the coronavirus and the pandemic going on is just how much I have missed with my kids over the last twelve mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, during the during all that last year, you know, I was working from home a lot and got to spend more time with them. And and then you know, even this winter, you know, just doing some things together, it's been you know a ton of fun. So people say well you've you've been racing nascar since 03 that's not that long compared to some other people and and i i have to remind them that i started traveling every weekend when i was 12 yep right Um, so it's been 32 years of every single weekend being at a racetrack and i would probably still end up being at a racetrack but you know i don't know the answer to that i i think it would either have to be some kind of team manager, uh, competition director type role somewhere or working for a manufacturer, uh, or one of the three manufacturers, or, or if there's another one that comes into the sport at some point. Or, you know, even going back to the go-karting stuff and building go-karts, I'd like to, to you know, build go-karts and help kids out and, and do some of the things I did growing up. And then, you know, I've even thought about there's a there's a i feel like there's a market for somebody like me that's a cup champion that has you know won a lot of races that has a lot of respect in in racing to have my own you know late model stock team that has basically four teams underneath of it with you know two you know trucks and trailers and have four young guys that have you know some money behind them to come in and race for me and take them to the racetrack Mm. and you know i think that would be something that would be incredible for not only me but it would be incredible for the sport because those are the types of things we need right now there's some Mm -hmm. people that are out there doing it i know lee falk was somebody i raced with when i was younger and he's got a, a team that that's basically doing something similar to that and does a great job with it but when you got a, a 12 year old kid that's going to be able to run the cars tour the next year, uh, and he can go drive for Rodney Childers cup champion and this and that, you know, like that, that becomes a, a huge deal for sponsorship. And, mm-hmm. 
so you know I, there's a there's every day i think of something different but you know there's other days i see zippy i see zippy and what he's doing i'm like man i don't want to do that <laughs> and then there's a, and then there's a, then there's other days i'm like well he's gonna get tired of this at some point and they're gonna have to have somebody do it and i'm gonna have to do it but um you know it's a it's a fine mix you know i think just like anything it doesn't matter where you work at some days are good some days are bad and mm-hmm, that's right. some days some days you think about how for, fortunate you are and other days you're you want to complain about it and then you wake up the next day and say well, i was dumb complaining yesterday <laughs> yep. so you know it's just uh part of of life in general and uh but you know the biggest thing for me is i want to continue to have fun i you know, even though I'm 44, I still want to surf. I still want to ride dirt bikes, and I still want to do things that uh, I've always done. So, whatever keeps me doing that is is going to be good with me. Yeah, well, I mean, I, and I think you'll have those options. And you know, you talked about having an impact, and you know, the kind of scenario you described would definitely have an impact on the sport. Uh, some young up and comers, and I, you know, and then I think that'd be it'd be fun to kind of bring some guys along and build things and have your hand in that, but. Yeah, whatever it is you want to do, I, I hope that uh, I hope that those options are are there for you. I'm sure they will be. And and yeah, you're right. I mean this uh, this whole deal has kind of opened our eyes to some things that that maybe we've missed over the years. That that kind of changes our perspective on on things. And uh, it sounds like uh, you you've had that experience. And and I'm glad that you've have been able to spend that extra time with your family. And uh, I know that uh, I know that they really appreciate to having you around, and 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 that's great, and that's time that that is extremely valuable. And speaking of valuable time, we have taken up plenty of yours, and we we really appreciate it, Rodney, and it was it was great to uh, to have you on. And uh, we will be uh, we've actually got we've got Tony Gibson coming on in a few weeks with us. I believe you guys probably crossed paths a few times <laughs> times a day. <laughs> Um, about a thousand times a day. Uh, yep, yep. So, um, yeah, a, a friend of mine I used to live with when I first started teaching, kind of had a had a friend that knew him and kind of got us in touch. And then so we're like, this is like a Stuart Haas broadcast <laughs> podcast <laughs> that we're running or getting over here. So, uh, but we we really enjoyed this, and I hope that you've enjoyed spending some time with us. And and I've I've learned some things, and I think our listeners will will also learn a, a little bit more about you that, that they didn't know. And um, we just really appreciate it. Thank, uh, thank Katrina for lending us, uh, lending you to us for the, for the evening. We appreciate you and your family. And that's yep. time that we've taken away from them. And I know that's valuable. Um, but thank you very yeah. much. And good luck to you yeah. guys at Daytona. And, you know, like I say, we'll, we'll be pulling for the four car. I mean, it, it, it's, it still kind of blows my mind to, to see you sitting on the box every week. They always put you guys on television because the four cars always yeah. up front. You're always up front and you guys are so consistent and you're sitting there and you're going, golly, it's hard to believe we went to school with that guy. You know, that's pretty, yeah. that's pretty cool, man. That's and pretty then, cool. We I forget for which, uh, which race it was. They mentioned, they mentioned you going to space camp. And I was like, oh, I right. went to space camp with, <laughs> yeah. that was that, that was fifth, sixth grade. I know we we're in middle school and that was yeah, in Alabama. And yeah. um, that was fun. I remember it was a long. Yeah, Alabama was a long way away. It still kind of is for yeah. us <laughs> back then. But I remember yeah, that was sure. a, that was a fun week. And, uh, Man, and that, that was, I tell my boys all the time, I'm like, you have got to go do that. And they're still iffy. 
yeah, they're they're not the type that you, they want. They don't want you to drop them off and leave them somewhere for a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but man, that was fun. Yeah, that's still a a good a good memory. It was us, and I think uh, was it it was Richie Gordon and Judd Hinkle, and was that was it the four of us or was there another one? I, I Brad Howard went. Brad Howard, there. yeah. So the yeah. five of us, and I've still the Brawley Middle got crew. that. Yeah, the Brawley Middle crew. That's right. Yeah, I believe we were in Miss Oliphant's class. I don't know if she's yeah that sounds still right. around or, or not. But uh, what's cool is uh you know we came up through Mount Morn, uh, and my son ended up going there. It's an IB school now, and now he's over at Brawley, and it's an IB school. So they they kind of moved the campus over there, so he's going through the same schools <laughs> that we went. That's to. That's, cool. that that is cool. So back yeah, when it yeah. was a cow pasture next to the yeah. or it's a football field and then the cow pasture and somebody told me you, you could used to run across the road and there were just pine trees over there maybe it was andy sloan that told me this if you had to go to the bat and i think it was soccer you had yeah. soccer practice yeah. or something if you had to go to the bathroom you just ran across into the road yeah you ran <laughs> yeah because yeah, there was nothing out there there was not a no. thing out there i yeah. tell people yeah. they're like mm, are you sure yeah uh, yes but and it wasn't <laughs> It seems like it was just a. And remember, Williamson and Brawley was a stop sign. It sure, oh, yeah. it sure was. And and it was uh, a stop and Williamson sign with a blinking light. Yeah. Yep. And the same at uh, where Williamson dumps out at uh, on one fifty. One fifty. Yeah. And there was a boat place there. Boat what marina. Was there was a marina and a and a t- and a video store right there. Yeah, and yep. I remember they sold diecast cars. They did in there. Huh. They had a lot of them. Anyway, we're, we're going we're, down. We're going down. Memory. That's for another time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, th- thanks well, so thank much. Yeah. yeah, man. Thank you, Rodney. And uh, and best of luck, and uh, go get them at Daytona. And as Andrew said, we will definitely be, be pulling for you guys, and hopefully uh, things will turn out. Have a safe trip. Have fun. Okay. And um, and come back and join us anytime and, uh, yeah. and catch up with us again. Thanks, okay. Rodney. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Appreciate All right. it. Thank, thank you. you. Have a good one, buddy. Okay. Bye-bye. Right. Bye. All right, man, that was a fun interview with Rodney Childers. We hope that you enjoyed that as much as we did. Thank you so much again for listening, and thank you again, Rodney Childers, for spending your valuable time with us on Blind Spotting. And we've got some other upcoming guests. We've got a full couple of weeks. Uh, on February the 2nd, we've got former Cup star Jerry Nadeau. He's going to be joining us in studio, so a week from tonight. That That's exciting. That's going to be fun. On February the 9th, Scott Kazura, former Xfinity and Truck Series crew chief, is going to be joining us. On the 16th of February, Tony Gibson, and he is the production manager over at Stuart Haas Racing, is going to be joining us. And that's on the 16th. And on February the 23rd, I'm not sure how we pulled this off. I really don't. But we have Eddie DeHunt, the spotter for <laughs> Cup Champion, Chase Elliott is going to be joining us on the 23rd. Eddie DeHunt. So that's, I, I'm excited about all four of those. Yeah, that's going to be a, a good time. That's a stacked deck right there. I, I don't know how, you know, we go any higher than we did uh, tonight with Rodney. Uh, that was an awesome interview and we had a great time with him. And uh, once again, I, you know, I don't feel like we can thank him enough, but we really appreciate Rodney coming and spending some time with us. And we will see you next time. You can follow us on Twitter at NASCAR Blindspot, Facebook at Blindspotting NASCAR, and you can also email us, blindspottingpodcast at gmail.com. So from all of us here, Andrew, Travis, and me, we wish you a wonderful week. Be safe, be happy, do good things for each other, and keep it off the wall, baby. See you next time on Blindspotting. 
Poem, Lord, don't it come way too soon You think by now it was something you'd be used to So put on your coffee and turn on the news It's gonna be hot as hell but at least the skies are blue Clocking them wore out, but you do what you gotta do. I know you're tired, I know you're hurting, I know you broke down to the bone. But you bills the pain and the smiling faces waiting on you at home. And it ain't always easy, it ain't ever like you planned all, oh, but man, ain't it working? working man Now you're going home while the sun's going down You're still miles away You can already hear the sound of a little voice saying, Daddy, come out and play. So you steal a couple more minutes from a damn good day. You're clocking them wore out and wouldn't want it any other way. I know you're tired, I know you're hurting, I know you broke down to the bone. Feels the pain in the smiling faces Waiting on you at home It ain't always easy It ain't ever like you planned all But man, ain't it working, working man Thank you. 